What's up? How's it going, Crossing? How's everybody doing? Good? Um, my name is Jody Hickerson, and I get to be here from time to time, which I absolutely love. I live in Ventura, California, um, at a church called Mission Church that was planted a little over six years ago. Um, the Crossing has been such an integral part of the life of our church, and I'm forever grateful um, for the lives that are being changed there, right, right up close in front of me in Mission. And thanks so much for your just support and your encouragement and the ways that you are blessing people that you may never meet on this side of heaven. I'm so grateful. I love getting to come to the crossing. Um, we've been in this series um, called Encounter. We're going through the book of Mark and we're moving towards hope, right? We're moving towards change, moving towards life, which sounds pretty good. We could all use a little more hope. And we believe that that's possible. That through this series, as we, we look at this biography of Jesus, that we wouldn't just know about him or read about him or hear about him, but that we would have this encounter with him, like in a personal way. And man, if you're new around the crossing, you're just checking things out, um, welcome, first of all, welcome. I mean, if you're like, I don't know if I want to encounter what, what these people are encountering, I mean, welcome. This is such a safe place for all of us to be on the journey. There's no perfect people allowed here, you know, so if you think you're perfect, you have to leave, but the rest of us can all stay here. This is a place where it's okay not to be okay. And we know that we all walk in in different places on what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus, his son, what we believe about faith. But we kind of call a truce, right, for an hour and say, could we just crack open our hearts and think if, if it's true? Like if God is who he says he is. And if he will do all that he's promised to do, and if he did send his son Jesus to rescue us, to restore us, to redeem us, and if his son Jesus died in our place, and was buried, and then got up from that grave, if it's true, that has some pretty incredible ramifications for our lives. If it's true, it changes everything. And so where we're at in this journey through this book of Mark is that now we're walking with Jesus through the final week of his life. I mean, last week we left him in an upper room um, that he and his disciples, his closest friends, had borrowed for the night. And they were celebrating a meal together, the Passover meal. We know it as the Last Supper, but you think about it, they didn't know it was the Last Supper. You know, they didn't know at the time this was the end, but that's what we know. And it was a weird night. I mean, these guys that had traveled together and worked together and laughed together and grieved together, you know, they're so close. And they're like, this is the weirdest meal we've ever had. I mean, Jesus said during the conversation that someone there at the table would betray him. So that's, you know, not a very good icebreaker. Like, hey, this is what's going to happen tonight. He also got up and he washed their feet to show them what greatness really looks like. And then he broke that bread, remember, and he held up the cup. And he said, this represents my body that's about to be broken. And this represents my blood that's about to be poured out for the sins of the world. I'm establishing a new covenant between God and his people. And they were kind of like, what? And they were a little confused and they didn't quite get it. But at the end of this meal, it says that they sing a hymn together. 
And then they went to the Mount of Olives. And you know there's something about singing together that just kind of bonds you. Even when things are a little surreal and things are a little confusing, you sing together and you just feel bonded, right? You go to a football stadium and it's like when the fight song comes on, it doesn't matter if you can sing or not sing, everybody's singing. Or the seventh inning stretch, or maybe for you it's a a karaoke bar, you know? And it's like you felt super bonded after that night or a concert or a worship service here. When we lift our voices together, there's something about it that really bonds us. And so they leave this last supper, this meal together, after singing with one another, so bonded. And it says they head out to the Mount of Olives. And this is about um, a ridge. It's about two miles away. It's two miles long, a little over 2,600 feet on the, the east side of Jerusalem. Probably the entire ridge was covered with these olive trees. I don't know if you've ever seen an olive tree, but they are weird, right? Okay? They're like, they're like twisted, and they're creepy, and they're gnarled, right? And, you know, living in SoCal now, I'm like, that makes total sense because something gnarly was about to go down that night in that place. And they're, just, they're just so weird. And, and the olive trees were really significant in the lives of the people of that day because of the oil that they produced. The oil, olive oil, was a part of their diet. It was um, used extensively in cooking and burning lamps. In many religious practices, actually, like anointing, when, when someone would be anointed, chosen by God to be used in some significant way, they would be anointed with this oil. And during this time, the olives were crushed with this huge, heavy millstone, right? This was the olive press. So that these olives would be crushed and squeezed and the oil would come out and then it would be collected. I mean, when you look at that heavy rock, I mean, olives really don't have a chance against that kind of rock. And this is where they went. They went to this place called Gethsemane. And the word Gethsemane actually means a place for pressing. So here they go. And we often think, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, if we, if we grew up hearing this story about this night where Jesus was in the garden, we've pictured him, you know, with his hair perfectly flowing in this nice robe that looks more like a Snuggie, and he's on a concrete bench, and there's lilies all around, and that's not what this night was. This night was dark, and there were these twisted, gnarly kind of trees in the middle of an olive press, and don't miss The imagery that here Jesus is the night before his crucifixion, actually into the early morning hours of that day, with the weight of the sins of the world pressing down, squeezing the life out of his soul, there he is at Gethsemane, a place where things get crushed. And he tells them, sit here while I pray. He tells the other eight guys, that's who's with them, minus Judas, because things got a little awkward at the dinner. He tells them, you know, you guys hang right here, and then you three come with me. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. And this is Jesus. This is God with skin on. In all of his divinity, we see his humanity, that he is deeply distressed, he is deeply troubled, and he gets real vulnerable with his friends, and he tells them, like, my soul is crushed to the point of death. Will you stay here and keep watch with me? 
It's interesting because when you read through um, the Gospels, these biographies of Jesus' life, you'll see him often go alone to talk with God, to pray to God by himself. He'd send the disciples, like, you know, out in a boat, or he'd say to his friends, like, you guys go ahead to me to the next village. I'll catch up with you. And he would go off alone and spend this significant time praying. And while he would pray alone this night once again, I think it's so cool that he still wants his friends close by. Like, he still needed their presence. He needed their friendship. Like, God in the flesh needed friends. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Don't we want that? Like, instinctively, we want somebody with us at the hospital before a major surgery. Even if they can't go back with us, we just want to know they're, like, out there in the waiting room. We want somebody sitting in the courtroom when we're going through the proceedings. Sometimes, you know, we, we've got a major decision or a job interview. We're saying, can you just go with me and, like, sit in the car? You don't have to go in. I just, like, need somebody with me. We want someone with us when hospice shows up, a friend or a family member. We want someone with us at a graveside. When our spirits feel crushed, and Jesus wanted that too. And just a side note... I think it's so cool that Jesus wanted that because this week reading that, I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I have the tendency to do the opposite and kind of push people away and go, oh, no, I'm good. Like, I got this. I don't want to bother anybody, you know, with my stuff. It's really not that big of a deal. You know, no one needs to know that I'm going through this thing, you know, and, and that's not the way we were wired. Have you ever been there? You know, sometimes you're going... You haven't seen someone in a long time. They haven't been at church. They haven't been, you know, at Fusion. They haven't been showing up, you know, to Life Group or whatever it is. And you're like, man, where have you been? And they're like, oh, I've just been going through, like, some really tough stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's what we're here for. That's why we need each other. We need each other. So I think it's so cool that Jesus needed his friends close by. And he says that he feels like he's being crushed. He's experiencing rejection and, and betrayal and heartbreak. Luke says this about this moment. He says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And Luke was a doctor, so his account may have been referring to this rare medical condition called hematidrosis, where under extreme pressure, the capillaries can actually burst under the skin, and our sweat ducts, you know, start to be mingled with blood. Like, actually drops of sweat are falling before anyone lays a hand on him that day. His blood is flowing. Can you imagine that kind of intensity where Jesus knew the moments of the crushing the weight of sin of all mankind forever would be placed on him. He had never felt the separation from his father that sin brings, and, and that was about to come. It was coming, and he felt crushed. He came back a couple of times, if you read this story, and he's just checking on his guys, and they're asleep. Like, literally, like, he's going, he's sweating drops of blood, and he's, he goes back to check on them, like, just making sure you're still here with me. And they cannot keep their eyes open. And each time, he goes back, and he prays the same thing. He falls to the ground, and this is what he prays, that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And in that prayer, 
hangs everything for us. Jesus is praying, if there's another way, like, let's do that. Yet, not what I will, but what you will be done. Father, can you take this cup from me? You remember the cup? The one he just held up a few hours earlier at dinner? That cup of our redemption that he said represented his blood that would be poured out for all mankind, for all of the world. Now he's pleading, Father, if there's a way, can we take this cup from me? If there's another way, yet not my will, your will be done. And I wondered this week, what went through his mind between those words, if and yet? If it's possible, yet not my will, but your will be done. I wonder if between if and yet, his mind was racing with what was coming. I wonder if between if and yet, he, he reminisced about the faithfulness of his father and their plan to save humanity. I wonder if between if and yet, he thought about us. I wonder if he saw us. I wonder if he was able to see the day when we would find hope. I wonder if he was able to see the day that we would come up out of the water of baptism and find his grace. Our salvation hangs in that statement, yet not my will, yours be done. Because you see, no one could take his life from him. He had to lay it down. He had to be willing to go through with this. He had to be surrendered to what God wanted to do, and he had to know the reason why. And I am so grateful that he chose us, that he wrestled that night in that dark place between if and yet, and he chose us, that it was our weakness he carried, and it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He got up from that place that night knowing he would be arrested so that we could find freedom, knowing that he, could, he was going to be chained so that our chains would be broken, mocked so that we could be affirmed, rejected so that we could be accepted, wounded so that we could be healed, crushed so we could be restored, separated from God so that we never, ever would be. And that is some good news. And as I read through this story again this week, I found myself so grateful that Jesus wrestled that gnarly night in that dark forest between if and yet, and he chose us. And I also thought about the times in my life where I have felt crushed, where I'm reading about Jesus going, I've felt overwhelmed, and I've felt crushed, and I don't pretend to know like where you're walking in in your life right now, but maybe there are some of us in here today feeling crushed. Maybe it's that you feel crushed by your own life's choices, right? Like, You've made some choices that have made a mess of some things, and now you're feeling pretty overwhelmed and pretty miserable about where life is. Maybe it's that you feel crushed by life, man, crushed by a specific circumstance. It's a, it's a job loss or a, the divorce you're going through. You've lost someone you loved, 
or infertility and it's been such a long road or the friend that overdosed or your own relapse or being hurt or a breakup or a betrayal or a difficult child or another miscarriage, like some real sorrow because we go through some real stuff in this life. And when we surrender our lives to God, we're not exempt from pain. I mean, the God that said, I know the plans I have for you, and they're to give you a hope and a future, is the same God who said, in this world, you will have trouble. He knows that things are not perfect here. He knows, he sees, he cares, and he has been there. He has felt that Jesus, quite literally, is the only one that has ever experienced the weight of the world on his shoulders. So if you're walking in here today, feeling crushed, needing some hope, wanting to move toward hope and and life and change and encounter God. I hope that you would encounter this God that promises us during these times that we are never alone. You are never alone. Jesus knew where to go when he felt like his soul was being crushed and he went to his Father. You are never alone. Psalm 34:18 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. He is close. It's a promise. He is with you. He knows exactly what you're going through. He has not forgotten you. Even if you feel alone, you aren't alone. Even if you feel like your friends who are supposed to be there for you are kind of sleeping on the job, God isn't. He is with you. He is for you. My best friend um Christina, when her daughter was three years old, was diagnosed with leukemia. It changed their family forever. And I remember when Gracie was literally just fighting for her life. She was three years old. Christina sent me this email, and I just want to share a portion of it with you. She said, we have never known the love of the Father more dear in these days of our deepest grief and sorrow. Never have we seen the face of God more intimately because never have we sought him so desperately. We cannot doubt that he is with us, for we feel the breath of the Father as he surrounds us in our anguish and holds our heads up when we cannot. He daily restores our souls. I know in every fiber of my being that he is truly with us through every valley and each mountain, and he desires for us to come to know him more intimately. And for me, it was only when my eyes could see nothing but despair did he grant me a glimpse of his infinite love. I can never go back to the way it was before. God is too glorious this side of the pain. Why I never saw it before is a mystery that remains, because he knows that if given the choice, I would have never chosen to know him so intimately at the cost of my daughter's suffering. But my gratitude to him and allowing me to see this part of him I never knew is indescribable. He is with us. His promises are true and maybe today you just need to hear from the God who promises over you that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil for he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. God says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. 
When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Because we can be hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but never abandoned, struck down but not destroyed because we are not alone. We have the God of the universe promising to be with us always, no matter what is going on in our lives. We are not alone. And God, the same God, I'm learning this, is that he can be trusted. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. He tells us that right in the middle of the painful process, right in the middle of the dark garden, not after it's over, but precisely, directly, smack dab, dead on, in the middle of it, his grace will be sufficient. It will be enough for us. That he will provide what we need to get through. And our strength will come not by our own might or a result of our own willpower, but it will become through his power being made perfect in our weakness. And sometimes it is only in those desperate seasons that we first realize that we actually even need God, that we can't do everything, and that's a good day. And sometimes that good day comes through a hard day. When you learn what it's like not to be able to do anything on your own, that you do need someone bigger, someone stronger, someone better, those days where you can't get up in the morning without the Lord's help, days where you just know you need him to get you through. He can be trusted. Maybe you've heard the story of the Israelite people. Shane talked a little bit about their story um, last week. They were slaves in Egypt, you know, for 400 years. And then God sent this guy, Moses, um, to deliver them, to set them free, like to lead them to this land that he had promised to get them. And so um, Moses is leading all of these people. It's been about two months that he's leading them. And they start to complain, okay? They start to get hungry. They actually get hangry. You know, they start going like, things were better back when we were slaves in Egypt. Like, just take us back. You know, we're, we're all really hungry hungry and tired and weak. And so God tells Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide food for these people, like in a crazy kind of way. I'm going to provide food like this bread from heaven to fall and sustain them. And then God gives this instruction. Each one, he's telling this to the people, is to gather as much as he needs. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little, and they measured it by the omer. He who gathered um, much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. And then Moses said to the people, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it till morning. But it was full of maggots, and it began to smell. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. God provided This bread from heaven, which the people call manna, which literally means what is it? Like they had no name for it. It's like, what is it? And it was was sent to sustain them every day at their lowest point. Not for the weekend. Not even for a couple of months. The Israelites ate manna 40 years. Until they came to the land that was settled, they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. I mean, 40 years. They had to have manna everything, manna burgers and manna souffle and banana bread and manna cotti, right? They had, everything was manna. But it's what sustained them, that God supplied just one day at a time, one day at a time. And he took care of them 14,600 days. And did you catch where God said, hey, don't try to take an extra jar 
Don't try to be saving that for the morning, you know, and people were like, well, I feel like I need to, you know, and then it was full of maggots. No, he was going, will you trust me? And every night they had to go to bed praying, okay, do it again, God. <laughs> do it again and trust him. And God was faithful to give them just what they needed. I think it's so cool that each one gathered as much as they needed and no one gathered too much or, or too little. Because when I think about it, like my little bitty, you know, nine-year-old Tyler is not going to need as much manna as like a grown man. So each one was to gather as much as they needed. And I think about that when I, when I think about people in my life that are going through such difficult times, like seriously crushing circumstances, and I look at the way they're going through it, and I think there's no way I could go through what they're going through like that. Have you ever thought about that? About someone? You know what God says? You couldn't get through. Not on the amount of grace I've given you for today, because that is perfect for today's weakness. And when and if that day comes, my grace and my power will be sufficient for that weakness. Never too much and never too little. Perfect amount. There may be days when we feel like we're coming with a four-ounce Dixie cup going, God, this is what I need to get through this day. And there may be other days when we feel like we need a barrel full to get through the day. I have come. I have brought my empty cup of sadness and betrayal in the midst of miscarriages and leaving and heartbreak, and he has been faithful, and I trust him to do it again tomorrow. It's a promise. Because of the Lord's great love for us, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Christian Rieger, who was in a, a concentration camp in Dachau, he he articulates it like this. He almost abandoned his faith, but instead he learned to lean into the presence of God, and he wrote this. Nietzsche said a man can undergo to torture if he knows the why of his life. But here at Dachau, I've learned something far greater. I learned the who of my life. He was enough to sustain me then, and he is enough to sustain me still. When the crushing times come, because they will, know the who of your life. And this is what the Holy One says. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. And it also gives me so much hope to know that we are never alone and that God can be trusted and that something good will come. I mean, thank God for that night in that garden. Where Jesus went to the place where things get crushed. Because something so good came. That was the early morning of our good, good Friday. And my, I may never understand why some of the things happen. But I do want to know where to go when those times come. I want to know who God is. I want to lean into him so that he can bring something good out of this mess. It's one of his promises, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That is an amazing promise. And see, sometimes we make this verse say something that it doesn't. Sometimes we say, well, God says that everything works out. Listen, everything doesn't always work out. That verse doesn't say everything happens for a reason. 
Listen, you can't tell, you know, the families of the 9-11 victims or those who stood on a finish line in Boston or the girls found in a backyard in Ohio that God had a reason. Sometimes the reason is that evil has screwed up this earthly existence. And we live in a world with unspeakable and absolutely unreasonable things that happen. But we do know this, that whatever happens, whatever crushing, painful times we find ourselves in, we can know that our God is still sovereign and he's working in the darkness, taking all of the bad stuff and all the painful stuff and all the tragic stuff and all the residual fallout from all of this evil and he can use it in some way to bring about good in our lives. I have seen it. I have experienced it. I believe it. You got to remember, Paul's writing this verse that now we've put on a plaque somewhere. You know, it's hanging in our grandma's house. Paul's writing that verse from a prison cell, not from the hammock in his backyard, okay? He knew what it was like to be in a dark place, and something good came from it. See, sometimes our definition of good and God's definition of good may be slightly different. We read He works all things together for good, and we define good in terms of what brings health or financial stability or comfort or happiness right now. But God defines good in terms of what makes us more like Jesus, what grows our faith, our character, our love, our dependence, because that's what's going to be lasting when everything falls apart. And those kind of things can't be microwaved. Oftentimes, God will use, not cause, But he will use these difficult times in our lives so that we can lean into him and then he can mold us and shape us and develop a faith in us we just did not have before. He can bring something good. And he can use your life like you never imagined. Your story isn't over. Like, don't you dare put a period where God put a comma. It's not over. This circumstance, this time, it doesn't define you. Think about things that have been crushed. Grain, it gets crushed, it becomes bread. Grapes get crushed and they become wine. Olives are crushed for oil. And like I mentioned earlier, oftentimes that oil that came from the olive press was used for anointing someone who would be used by God. Don't miss this. That when there was an anointing, First, there was a crushing. And Jesus couldn't go to Calvary and make that bad Friday good without going through Gethsemane. God can give our pain purpose. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. What we've received, we can now give away. We know we're never alone, and we know God can be trusted, and we can give that hope away. God is big enough. I know from personal experience to recycle our pain and our failures and our screw-ups into this unexpected ministry to help other people. I mean, who better to help someone struggling with alcohol addiction than somebody who's been there? Or drug addiction or an eating disorder? Or through the pain of abuse or unfaithfulness or bankruptcy or the loss of a child or a miscarriage or chemotherapy or divorce. Then someone who has been there. Maybe you've experienced this, right? Where you've thought, I think I was supposed to be there. I think I was supposed to be in that seat, in that PTA meeting, in that locker room, on that team, at that car wash, at that time. Because of what I have been through. And it was like a divine appointment. He can use all of it if we're willing. 
to pour hope into other people. Don't waste a single drop of the precious anointing oil that the crushing circumstances of life have produced.